Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pally. Welcome to this special omnibus edition of Journey with Story. So, as you know, if you've been listening to our last two extra birthday bonus episodes, this month, Journey with Story celebrates our third birthday. And in this special omnibus episode, you can listen to all four stories for this month, one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you need to go and listen to the individual episode and not this version. Got it? Thanks again to all of you, our wonderful listeners, for being with us on our journey with story. We love hearing from you, so do keep sending us your drawings and your messages and your reviews. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Let's take a journey with Jack Rabbit's Wisdom Spot and the Turtle's Shell. Jack Rabbit's Wisdom Spot. Jack Rabbit was a very wise fellow, but he wanted to be wiser. And so he went to the animal wizard, Mutsimu, and begged for more wisdom. Great wizard of the woods, please make me wiser, he said. But you already are wise, little fellow, said Mutsimu. No, I am not wise enough, great wizard. Very well then, bring me a live snake and I will see what I can do for you. So the rabbit picked up a long stick and went to the snake's house where he found him coiled upon a log. Good day, friend snake said the rabbit. Oh, good day, little one, replied the snake. What have you here? A stick, which is longer than you are. What nonsense, scoffed the snake. Well, let us measure and see, said the cunning rabbit. So, the snake stretched himself along the log And the rabbit put his stick near the snake as if to measure him. Then, quick as a wink, the rabbit slipped a string around the snake's neck, holding him fast to the end of the stick. Let me go, let me go, cried the snake, who was most surprised and alarmed by the rabbit's trickery. He turned and twisted and writhed around the stick, trying to escape. But it was no use. Rabbit raced as fast as he could to Mutsimu. The wizard could barely believe his eyes when he saw the wriggling snake at the end of the stick. How did you catch him alive? He asked. The rabbit smiled. 
but said not a word. Little fellow, since you are clever enough to fool the snake, you have all the sense you need, declared the wizard. No, no, mighty Mutsimo, please give me more sense. Very well, then, if you insist, go. Find me a swarm of bees and bring them to me. Then I will give you all the sense you want. Again, the little rabbit ran off, determined to do as the wizard had asked. He found a big gourd. He cut a hole in the bottom, cleaned it out, filled it with honey and tied it to a long pole. Next, he found a bee's nest and left the gourd nearby. Soon enough, the bees smelled that honey. They swarmed around the opening and flew in to taste the sweet food. As soon as the gourd was full of the buzzing bees, the rabbit filled up the hole and took the gourd to Mutsimu singing. Hello, Mr. Bee, Mr. Stinging Bee, I've caught you, you see, I've caught you, you see. The animal wizard was most surprised and amazed to see that the little rabbit had completed his task. Brother Rabbit, you are indeed a wise little creature. And you shall become wiser every day because you use your wits. And as he said this, he touched the rabbit's head between the ears and at once the hair became white. You shall always wear this white spot as a mark of your Wisdom, he declared. And so, to this very day, all Jack Rabbits wear this white wisdom spot between their ears. The Turtle's Shell Long, long, long ago, when the world was still quite new, the kangaroo and the turtle were feasting in the Hornbill's garden. The kangaroo trod on the tall stalks of the bananas and the sugar canes and brought them to the ground so that his friend, the turtle, could reach them. Now, the Hornbill is a very large bird, he has a long, strong bill, on top of which is a large piece of horn. That is why he is called the Hornbill. He was the king of the birds because he was so large and so strong. When the birds saw the kangaroo and the turtle in the royal garden, they tried to drive them out. The kangaroo leaped over the fence and escaped. But the turtle could not get out, and he hid 
under a yam patch. But the birds soon found him there. They bound him with cords and took him to their royal master. Aha, wicked turtle! exclaimed the hornbill. I have caught you at last. You and your family have been feasting on my bananas and sugar cane for a long time. You have robbed my garden and spoiled it. And now I shall punish you. The next day, the king sent all his servants to gather fruit for the feast that was to celebrate the death of the turtle. The young birds were left at home to watch the turtle prisoner. Ah, dear children, said the turtle in a gentle voice. Let's play a game together. Oh, yes, yes, cried the birds. What fun that will be. But first, begged the turtle, cut these cords that bind me. The birds could not resist the turtle's entreaties and his gentle pleading, and so they cut the cords. Now let us play a game, said the turtle as he stretched himself free. What shall we play? asked the birds. Let us play that I am king and you are my subjects. Go and gather all your father's ornaments and decorate me. Bring only the best and the finest. At once the birds flew off to do the turtle's bidding. They brought him all of their father's most ornate shell decorations. The turtle took a long shell necklace and wound it around his neck many times. Then he took a shell armlet and put one each on his front feet and on his back he placed a heavy ball. Oh, what a fine king I am, he boasted. Look at all my beautiful ornaments. The birds bowed low before him as if he were indeed their king. Now, let me go to the tree and back again, said the turtle, so you can see how fine I look and admire me. How awkward the old turtle looks, jeered the birds. How strange he looks, decorated in father's ornaments. And they laughed with each other as they watched the turtle crawl back and forth. Just then, the turtle heard the king and his servants returning. He crawled toward the water and dived in quickly. Come, father, come, cried all the little birds. The turtle is running away. The hornbill and all the birds flew to the water. Show yourself, turtle, they cried. Lift up your head. The turtle rose to the surface. At once, the birds threw stones at him and broke his left armlet. When the turtle dived down below, the birds again called to him. And when he rose to the surface a second time, they hurled more stones at him and shattered his right armlet. The next time he appeared, their stones cut the string of his shell necklace. Only the bow on his back remained, and they hurled stone after stone upon it, 
but every single one slipped off into the water and left the bowl unharmed. Then the turtle swam away and was never seen again by the hornbill. And from that day to this very day, every turtle carries a shell on his back. Let's take a journey with the three little pigs. Once upon a time, there was an old mother pig who had three little pigs and not enough food to feed them. So when the pigs were old enough, she sent them out into the world to seek their fortunes. Now the first little pig was very lazy. He didn't want to work at all. And so he built his house out of straw. The second little pig worked a little bit harder. But he was somewhat lazy too, and so he built his house out of sticks. Then they sang and they danced and they played together the rest of the day. But the third little pig worked hard all day long, and he built his house with bricks. It was a sturdy house, complete with a fine fireplace and chimney. It looked like it could withstand the strongest winds. The next day, a wolf happened to pass by the lane where the three little pigs lived, and he saw the straw house, and he smelled the pig inside. He thought the pig would make a mighty fine meal, and his mouth began to water, so he knocked on the door, and he said, Little pig, little pig, let me in, let me in. But the little pig saw the wolf's big paws through the keyhole, so he answered back, No, no, no! Not by the hairs of my chinny-chin-chin! Then the wolf showed his teeth and he said, Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down! So he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house down. The wolf opened his jaws very wide and bit down as hard as he could. But the first little pig escaped and he ran away to hide with the second little pig. The wolf continued down the lane and he passed by the second house made of sticks. And he saw the house and he smelled the pigs inside and his mouth began to water as he thought about the fine dinner they would make. So he knocked on the door and he said, Little pigs, little pigs, let me in, let me in. But the little pigs saw the wolf's pointy ears through the keyhole, so they answered back, No, 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 not by the hairs on her chinny chin chin. So the wolf showed his teeth and he said, Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. So he huffed. And he puffed and he blew the house down. The wolf was greedy and he tried to catch both pigs at once. But he was too greedy and he got neither. 
his big jaws clamped down and nothing but air, and the two little pigs scrambled away as fast as their little hooves would carry them. The wolf chased them down the lane and he almost caught them, but they made it to the brick house and slammed the door closed before the wolf could catch them. The three little pigs were very frightened. They knew the wolf wanted to eat them. And that was true. The wolf hadn't eaten all day and he had worked up a large appetite chasing the pigs around. And now he could smell all three little pigs inside and he knew that they would make a lovely feast. So the wolf knocked on the door and he said, Little pigs, little pigs, let me in, let me in. But the little pigs saw the wolf's narrow eyes through the keyhole, so they answered back, No, 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 not by the hairs on her chinny chin chin. So the wolf showed his teeth and he said, Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Well, he huffed and he puffed, he puffed and he huffed, and he huffed and he huffed, and he puffed and he puffed, but he could not blow the house down. At last, he was so out of breath that he couldn't huff and he couldn't puff any more at all. So he stopped to rest and thought a bit. This was too much. The wolf danced about with rage and swore he would come down the chimney and eat up the little pigs for his supper. But while he was climbing up onto the roof, the little pig made up a blazing fire and put on a big pot full of water to boil. Then, just as the wolf was coming down the chimney, the little piggy pulled off the lid and plop in fell the wolf into the scalding water. And that was the end of the big bad greedy wolf. Let's take a journey with the sprightly tailor. Long ago in Scotland, a wealthy laird by the name of MacDonald hired a sprightly tailor to come to his castle and make him a special pair of trues. Now, in olden times, those trues consisted of a vest and trousers all sewn together in one piece and decorated with fringes. They were very popular with the gentlemen back then because they were comfortable to wear whether you were out walking across the wind-swept moors or whether you were dancing a fling at the village Cayley. A Cayley is just a Celtic word for party. Now, MacDonald had told the tailor that if he would make the trues by night in the churchyard, he would get a very handsome reward, for it was thought that the old ruined church was haunted and that fearsome things were to be seen there at night. The tailor was well aware of these stories, but he was a sprightly man, and when the laird dared him to make the trues by night in the church, the tailor was not at all afraid. Rather, he was determined to prove himself. 
and earn this handsome reward. So, when night fell, the tailor set off up the glen about half a mile away from the castle till he came to the old church. And there he picked out a gravestone for a seat, lit his candle, pulled his thimble over his thumb and set to work at the trues. His needle flashed in and out of the cloth as he began to imagine what he might buy with the laird's fine reward. So absorbed was the tailor with his work and with his imaginings that he completely forgot to be worried or afraid of any ghostly happenings until he felt the ground all of a tremble under his feet and looking about him but keeping his fingers at work he saw a great human head rising up through the stone pavement of the church and when the head had risen there came from it a great a rumbling voice and the voice said Do you see this great head of mine? I see that, but I'll sew this, replied the sprightly tailor, and he stitched away at the trues. Then the head rose higher up and up through the pavement until its neck appeared. And when its neck was shown, the thundering voice came again and said, Do you see this great neck of mine? I see that, but I'll sew this, said the sprightly tailor, and he stitched away at his trues. Then the head and neck rose higher still until the great shoulders and chest were shown above the ground and again the mighty voice thundered Do you see this great chest of mine? And again the sprightly tailor replied I see that but I'll sew this and he stitched away at his trues and still the creature kept rising through the pavement until it shook a great pair of arms in the tailor's face and said, Do you see these great arms of mine? I see those, but I'll sew this, answered the tailor, and he stitched hard at his trues, for he knew he had no time to lose. The sprightly tailor was making long stitches now when he saw the creature gradually rising and rising through the floor until it lifted out a great leg and stamping with it upon the pavement it said in a roaring voice Do you see this great leg of mine? Aye, 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 I see that but I'll sew this, cried the tailor. 
and his fingers flew with the needle, and he took such long stitches that he was nearly finished now with the trows. When the creature began to drag up its other leg. But before it could pull the leg out of the pavement, the sprightly tailor finished his task and blowing out his candle and springing from off his gravestone, he buckled up and ran out of the church with the trues under his arm. Then the fearsome thing gave a loud a roar and stamped with both his feet upon the pavement and out of the church he went chasing after the sprightly tailor down the glen they ran faster than the stream when the flood rides it but the tailor had got a head start and he had a nimble pair of legs and he had no intention of losing out on the laird's reward now. So, though the thing roared at him to stop, the sprightly tailor was not the man to be scared off by this monster. He clutched his trues tight, and he raced like the wind until he reached the laird's castle. No sooner had he slipped inside and clanged the gate shut behind him than the awful thing appeared right behind him. With a roar of rage, it banged the wall above the gate, leaving its mark of five great fingers before it disappeared in a puff of grey Mist. And to this very day, you can see the mark of those five fingers above the castle gate, if you peer close enough. And the sprightly tailor gained his reward. MacDonald paid him handsomely for the trues. And if he ever noticed that a few of the stitches were somewhat on the long side, well, he never said a word. After all, the sprightly tailor had proved himself to be as brave as he was sprightly. Let's take a journey with Tam Lin. Long ago in Scotland, near the woods of Gartahoch, there lived a young lass by the name of Janet. Now all her life Janet had been told, as all the other lasses and lads nearby had also heard, never to enter the woods near Gartahoch, for there lived fairies 
who had been known to cast evil spells and make mischief for any intruders who dare to draw near. But as she grew older, Janet grew bolder and less afraid of all these tales she'd heard. "'Doesn't my own father own all of the land here anyway?' she said to herself. "'There is no reason I should be forbidden for going there.' And so one day Janet wrapped her green mantle over her shoulders and headed for the Gartahoch woods. As soon as she stepped into the forest, she caught a strong, sweet scent of roses, and following the aroma, she found herself in a clearing brimming with sweet-smelling rose bushes. She bent down and plucked one single ruby-red rose, and she breathed in its beautiful perfume. Suddenly, a figure appeared in front of her. So you like roses, said a tall elfin man. Roses that do not belong to you. Startled, Janet stammered, Who who are you? Then mustering her wits, she added, I will have you know my family owns this land of Gartahoch, and one day... My name is Tamlin, said the elf man, interrupting her. And I guard the forest for the fairy queen. This is not a safe place for a young lass like you. Oh, have no fear on my account, said Janet. I can look after myself. But if you know so much about this forest, why don't you be my guide? The elf man bowed and said, Very well, come follow me. He led Janet further into the forest showing her all sorts of wonders and marvels that lay nestled among the pine and birch trees. Amber poppies, dew-speckled toadstools, silver gossamer spider's webs, and clusters of bluebells. The hours flew by, and soon it was time for Janet to bid Tamlin farewell. Come again, fair lass, he said as he kissed her hand. And the next day Janet returned to Gartahoch. And every day after that, for weeks and months, she and Tamlin became the best of friends. But one day, Tamlin looked pale and troubled. Oh, what ails you? Janet asked him. Does it worry you that I am human and you are not? Oh, do not let that concern you, for I care not one whit about that. Oh, my dear lady, said Tamlin. Of course I know you are good and kind and loyal and true. Ah, but I am afraid my burden is heavier than that. Tamlin beckoned for Janet to take a seat on a rock beside him. And then he began to tell her his story. You see, I was born a human like you. And when I was but more than a boy, I even became a knight. But a few years ago, I was hunting in these very woods when I was bewitched by a sleeping spell that made me fall from my horse. Then... 
the queen of fairies whisked me away to be her servant, and so I have been at her beckoning these past few years. Every day I guard the woods of Gartahoch, and at night I return to her fairy kingdom. But even a life of this imprisonment would be better than what I just found out this morning. Oh, tell me, tell me, begged Janet. With a heavy heart, Tamlin continued. That every seven years on Samhain Eve, the fairies hold a ritual that allows them to keep their powers for the next seven years. They have a procession through the woods that ends at Miles Cross, and there they sacrifice a mortal to the spirits, and my lady, I am to be the next sacrifice. <gasps> but today is October 31st, whispered Janet, and tonight is Samhain Eve. I. And it is the seventh year, said Tamlin. I am afraid we must say our goodbyes now. No, it cannot be, Janet jumped up. There must be a way to break the spell. Tamlin paused. Well, there is one way, he said slowly. But it is so hard and so fraught with peril, so dangerous that I dare say no more about it. Oh, but you must. You must tell me everything. Tamlin sighed. Ah, well, if you insist, there is one chance, and it happens only when the procession approaches the circle of stones at Miles Cross, where the sacrifice takes place. Only then, for a brief time, are the powers of the fairy queen weakened if you want to save my life, you must hide behind a tree at Miles Cross tonight and wait for the procession to come by. Let the first steed pass, that be a black horse ridden by the fairy queen, and then let past a brown horse. But run to the next horse, a milk-white steed, and pull the rider down. I will be that rider. And when I fall, you must hold me fast. No matter what terrors happen next, your good upon me must last. But this will be terribly hard to do, dear Janet, because to break your grip, the fairy queen is likely to turn me into beast after horrible beast in your arms. Yet, if you can hold tight and not let me go, then no harm will come to you, and I'll be mortal again, forever. If you can do this, once the spell is broken, wrap me with your green mantle and cover me out of sight. He held his breath for a moment. My lady, that is the only way. And so they made their farewells both troubled and anxious at what lay before them. Later that night, in a gloomy and dark, eerie stillness, Janet made her way to Miles Cross, and there she hid behind a large oak tree. Just before midnight, she heard the tinkling of bridles and knew the fairies were on the move. 
From behind the tree she watched the first black steed pass, a horse ridden by the proud fairy queen. Then a brown horse rode by, followed by a milk-white steed. Janet bolted forward and pulled the rider down. Thunder rolled across the sky, and the stars flashed as bright as day. The fairies skittered to and fro in a frenzy of confusion. Then the fairy queen pointed her bony finger to the fallen rider and called loudly, Tamlin! That moment in Janet's arms, Tamlin turned into a monstrous bear, snarling at her and frothing at the mouth. Janet turned her head from its hot, angry breath. But still she held on with all her might. A moment later, the bear became a scaly lizard, slippery and venomous, his red tongue flicking about her face. Janet closed her eyes, but still she held fast to the horrid creature. And finally, the lizard turned into an ice-cold snake covered with slime. Janet felt it ooze down her back as the snake coiled around her, tightening its grip and almost choking her. But then, the next instant, it had become a red-hot cinder. Janet felt as if her arms and hands were on fire. But again, she steeled herself and held fast with all her might. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it was over. In her arms was Tamlin himself, fully human and laughing with delight. <laughs> Giddy with relief and joy, Janet remembered to wrap him in her green mantle. The Queen of Fairies rose to her full height, fuming with rage and anger. May she die an ill death. She screamed, pointing to Janet. For she has stolen the bonniest knight in all my company. But neither Janet nor Tamlin had any fear of the Fairy Queen now. They knew they were safe from her powers at last. With great rejoicing, they returned to Janet's home in the Grey Castle, where they were soon married in a grand and splendid ceremony. From that day forward, they lived in great peace and contentment, and every child in the land heard their story of how goodness conquered evil on the eve of Samhain.
And I hope you enjoyed that special birthday omnibus edition of Journey with Story. And if you're looking for some ideas for further follow-up activities, maybe you can discuss what the story souvenir was for each story. Remember, the story souvenir is just that little glimmer of truth about what it means to be human and live in this world. Maybe you can make a drawing of your favourite episode and send it to me on Instagram at Journey with Story or on our website. Don't forget, if you want to enjoy a special bonus story, The Talking Pot, to celebrate Journey with Story's third birthday, just go visit our new website at www.journeywithstory.com and you'll be able to get it there along with a free colouring sheet. But hurry, this is just a special offer only for the month of October. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.